Do you ever catch yourself wishing you didn't have to stay positive? Or maybe you've been working on keeping a positive mindset for years, but it still feels like a daily battle sometimes. Having a chronic illness means you're being told to stay positive all the time. And let's be honest, it's exhausting. Because pushing ourselves to stay positive is not actually positive. There's a much easier way to get a strong, positive mindset and all of the feel-good perks that come with it without the pressure of looking on the bright side. Check out my free resource, The No BS Guide to a Positive Mindset. In it, I give the straight scoop on strategies that work and common strategies that are a waste of time and energy. Go to andreahansencoaching.com now or use the link in this podcast description and get your free resource, The No BS Guide to a Positive Mindset, today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's show. Thank you for joining me. I'm Andrea Hansen. This week, I had a great chat with our guest, Courtney Bassard. You know when you're talking to someone and you don't even get to half the things that you wanted to know about them? That's how it was. We didn't even talk about her hula hoop dancing, her fire dancing, her plans to have tiny houses and become a digital nomad. What we did talk about, though, was truly inspiring. Courtney was very open about her health journey with ulcerative colitis and all the ways that she's working on healing her body, her mind, and her spirit. In this episode, we talk about breath work, inner child work, emotions, advocating fiercely for yourself in difficult situations. There are so many great nuggets of wisdom for people living with a chronic illness who want to take more power into their own hands when it comes to their health and working with different professionals. So please enjoy this week's episode and visit andreahansencoaching.com for more on Courtney Broussard, resources that we talk about in the show, and transcripts from today's episode. You can find a link to all of that in this episode description. Welcome to the Live Your Life, Not Your Diagnosis podcast. I'm Andrea Hansen, author, motivational speaker, and master certified coach. When I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, I was told I would never reach my goals. But I did. And I'm on a mission to prove that life with a chronic illness can still be expansive and quite remarkable. Everyone has their own unique path. I'm talking to people living with a chronic illness that come from different backgrounds, have different points of view, and are achieving amazing life goals of all kinds to inspire you to achieve what you thought was impossible. These stories are raw, uncensored, and judgment-free. Listener discretion is advised. I'm here today with Courtney Bassard. Courtney is a certified life coach and the host of Journey to Limitless podcast. Courtney believes living a limitless life comes down to three things, chasing your dreams, overcoming hardships to keep moving forward, and finding freedom and joy in your life right now as you strive for more. Over the last seven years, Courtney has created her own limitless life by following her dreams of living in Colorado traveling the world, and starting a podcast and business, all while navigating chronic illness, which is ulcerative colitis. She believes in order to make your dreams a reality, you do not need to, quote, have it all figured out. You just need some belief in yourself and the mindset to keep going when things become difficult. Courtney, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Andrea, for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to talk to you, to a fellow Coloradan. 
I want to start with just talking about, tell us who you are and what brought you to Colorado and what's going on with you. Yeah. So I was born and raised in Maryland. I lived there until I was 21 years old. And around the time that I was 18, though, that was when I started feeling this sense of adventure and just realized how much of this world that I really wanted to see. My family never really traveled. So that was like a new feeling for me. And I decided to move to Colorado when I was 21 years old in 2016. And that move to Colorado really has propelled me into the person that I am today, a world traveler, someone who I have a lot of passions. I hula hoop, I fire spin. Yeah, I have a podcast. I became a certified life coach. I do a lot of artwork. And the move to Colorado really allowed me to dive deeper into who I was. Prior to those years, I did not really understand who I was. So being where I am today, where I feel like I'm really sure of myself and the path that I'm on, yeah, I'm just really multi-passionate. And I really like to bring that to everything that I do in my life, all of my passions and everything. What was it about the move that helped you come into your own? Well, when I first moved to Colorado, I was just freshly 21. To be honest, I had a lot of habits prior to the move to Colorado that I didn't really want to carry with me anymore. I was drinking a lot. I was smoking a lot of weed. (laughs) I was just doing things that didn't wake up feeling my best. And when I moved to Colorado, about six months in, I caught myself and I was like, I didn't move out here to continue doing the same things that I was doing before. And I really wanted to start you know, figuring out who I was and figuring out my passions. And I started hula hooping, snowboarding and painting all in the first winter that I moved to Colorado because I just was interested in those things. And I started following those curiosities. And and it was just like the atmosphere here. You know, people don't, I mean, yeah, there's some people that do go out to the bars and drink, but a lot of people are like, hey, let's go for a hike at seven in the morning tomorrow. So you know what? Actually, I don't want to drink the night before because I want to have energy for that. I want to it's just a different lifestyle out here, I feel. And I guess you can have these lifestyles in Maryland, but I felt like the environment that I was around, it was going to be really difficult to break away from that there. Whereas in Colorado, I had this opportunity to really create the person that I really wanted to be. I think that's a really interesting part of creating new habits and breaking old habits is a lot of times I know there's that book and that saying, wherever you go, there you are. And I think that's true to a certain extent. But I also think that if you have an intention to create a new habit, create a new life, break old habits, changing your environment or going into an environment that is more conducive to the new habits that you want really does help. It doesn't mean that you're not doing anything, but I do think that getting into an environment, especially an environment like Colorado, I mean, we can probably both talk for the rest of this podcast about how awesome Colorado is, (laughs) (laughs) but it really can be a lifestyle out here. Everybody here is very much into different lifestyles. And so getting into this type of environment with the intention of creating these new habits that you wanted to really can make it easier. Yeah, 100%. And I think the important note of it is what you said about having the intention, right? Because the first months that I was here, I, I took myself out of it for a moment. I was like, wow, I'm doing the same things that I was doing before. This is not why I did that. So knowing that you want to move somewhere and like really change your life and build new habits and surround yourself with new people, like you have to have the attention and the awareness of like how you're feeling on a day-to-day basis and actively choosing to change that if it's not where you want to be, right? And yeah, I think it is like you're putting it out there that these are the experiences that you want. And I'm like so into manifestation and woo woo and stuff like that. And I believe that what you put out, you will attract back. So you have to set the intention of what you're looking for and like actively also putting yourself in the spaces to make that happen. 
Yeah, I agree because it's all about what you are attracting to yourself. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I'm sure some people clocked it in the very beginning. They're like, hold on, you moved to Colorado to stop smoking pot? <laughs> What? (laughs) So obviously, if you wanted to find that environment here where you were continuing to drink and smoke pot and do all sorts of things, it exists. 100% it exists. But when you are really putting out there what you want and creating that intention and, and being intentional in what you are attracting to yourself, and you know, you can see it as a woo woo, which I think is super fun. You can see it as something where it's like, you know, how you're treating yourself is what you're going to attract. And so if you are having these habits and creating these habits, that's who you're going to attract to you as well. And I think doing that is a really important part of changing environments because we create whatever environment we want when we go to a new place like this. And so I think really doing that on purpose and creating something makes it so you don't fall back into that other environment that you found yourself in when you were in Maryland. Yeah. It's almost like a before and after, right? Like you know, there was a before moving to Colorado and after moving to Colorado. And I have the choice to really make that a very distinctive before and after. You know what I mean? It could have been a continuation, but you have an opportunity to really recreate your life. Be really intentional about making that happen. That's one of my favorite things about going to different places, whether or not you're moving. Like we were talking before the podcast a little bit. I moved a lot growing up. And every time you go to a new place, you kind of have this opportunity to quote, be a different person. And of course, you're not going to change your personality. It's not like we have the ability to totally be someone different. That would be slightly, slightly scary. (laughs) (laughs) But you can choose like, okay, this is who I want to be. I want to be somebody who is more into sports. I want to be someone who hikes a lot more. I want to be someone who doesn't drink. I want to be. So I think that's always fun. And we can do that even if we're just traveling and we're going to be someplace for a weekend or a month or however long we're going to do it is we can say like, who am I in this new experience when I'm traveling? Like you, you just took a solo trip, right? This is something that you do a lot. You just went to Greece. Is that right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what did you do when you were going there? Did you have an intention of like, this is what I want to do when I'm in Greece? This is who I want to be when I'm in Greece? Well, to be honest, I just feel the most myself when I'm solo traveling. Like I remember I was in Santorini and I was hiking along the caldera, which is like the big, you know, cause Sant- Santorini used to be round and now the volcano erupted and the water all in the center. So it's called the caldera and I was hiking all on the caldera. And I literally just feel like my best self when I'm solo traveling. And the trip was very, like, it was like a week and a half. So honestly, I was just focused on like meeting new friends and seeing as much, but I had the realization that I truly do feel like my most authentic self. Cause I feel like I don't have to, I don't have to explain anything to anyone and no one knows anything about me, which is, you know, obviously I'm not here to like be a fake person, but like they kind of just can see the real true raw you. I feel like with no opinions about who you used to be or whatever, like they just see you for you in that moment right now. And I made such genuine connections that way. And I really just realized that. So that's why I'm like, I'm, you know, in the future, I, right, I mean, I am right now creating a life around solo travel and becoming a digital nomad because I, from that trip, I realized that like this is who I truly am is yeah. this like adventurous traveler. Like, I, that is me. Yeah. And I love that you said that because when we talk about things like creating something new for ourselves, 
going after maybe a new dream, creating a new life, new habits. It's not about not being who you are, right? It's not about being fake. That's what I was saying. Like, it, it would be kind of weird if like you all of a sudden you want to be someone totally different. It's not about that. It's about setting the intention of like, I want to be more of this part of myself, or I want to be more of that part of myself. And part of that I think is, like you said, meeting new people who have no idea about who I am or what my background is. There's no the real basis of judgment. And so it allows us to let that judgment go of ourselves at the same time. And I think letting go of that judgment of ourselves is one of the things that lets us become our really most authentic selves. And like you said, like create those really authentic connections. Yeah. And I just realized, I think that's one of the reasons why I am so drawn to travel and everything is because I just get excited around like not knowing other people too, like getting to really dive deep into people's stories. And a lot of times I notice that when there's not judgment there, I actually can open up to strangers. Obviously there's certain such, you know, be smart about what you're opening up about, right? Like don't tell people (laughs) where you're staying or anything like that. But like, you know, I feel like I can be really vulnerable around strangers because they're just seeing me right there in that moment. There isn't like, I don't know. I just, I just realized that, you know, even living in Colorado the last few years, I can open up so much more to new people versus people from like my high school. And I don't know why I don't really have an explanation for it. I just like feel more excited being around new people and getting to like show them who I am right now versus like, Oh, she's so different than who she used to be. She's not the same person. She's changed. Like they're seeing me as like the evolved person that I really desire to be in that moment. And like, yes, there's a past me, but like I get to really be who I want to be in that moment without judgment. I think the whole idea of judgment, you know, it's it's judgment that we put on ourselves. It's judgment that we think other people are putting on us, which I think is interesting. And I think when we're meeting people who are total strangers, it's very hard to assume what their judgment is of you. There's no like, oh, gosh, they remember me from high school. Oh, my gosh, I sat next to them in chemistry class <laughs> in college. And oh, my gosh, I'm a totally different person. What do they think? There's none of that right. because it doesn't even apply. You're right. I think there is something very freeing. And plus, it's just fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm the same. You know, I'm the same with you. I love meeting new people. I love traveling. I love like newness. Oh, yeah, me too. I thrive off of change and experiences. Like, yes, sometimes change can be really difficult, but I've really learned to lean into change. And I notice that when change is happening, I'm like, okay, where is this going to lead? You know what I mean? Like, I feel like in my life lately, especially after, you know, my latest ulcerative colitis flare, I feel like sometimes I can visually see a page turning in my head. And I'm like, wow, this whole experience is new and changing and life isn't going to go back to the way that it was before. And like, what a beautiful thing that is. I get excited by that. What helps you get excited about that opposed to maybe fearing or thinking, oh my gosh, here we go again? Or is there something that's not going to work out? Like what helps you stay excited? I just trust that even if things don't work out, things are still working out. I just wholeheartedly believe that my life journey and everyone else's life journey, like it's going to go the way that it is supposed to go. And I think that there's a lot of things that are out of our control. Yes, sometimes in our mind, we cling on to what we want, but sometimes that we think that we want that, but that's truly not for us. And I just trust that if that doesn't work out, then something better is going to come 
anyway. And what's actually meant for me is going to come my way. I just wholeheartedly believe that. And I just really lean into trust. That's really what helps me. So speaking of in 2019, you were diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. Mm -hmm. What was that like? Was it something that you had a hunch about for a long time? Was it something that just kind of came out of the blue and surprised you? Yes, I would say it came out of the blue and surprised me. But at the same time, now that I can look back, I think it makes sense for me because I can look back and see how unaligned I was in my life. I can see how much anxiety on a day-to-day basis I had. I can see how depressed I was. I can just see where so many things in my life were not where they were supposed to be. I was in a relationship that was completely soul-sucking me. I was living with this person in a very tiny apartment, had no space to myself. I was overworking myself in like three jobs. I also was dealing with like grief from a friendship. Like there were a lot of things that were just dampering onto my mental health. And then my health started to go down the drain. I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. And yes, I was surprised. And it took me I think I was in denial for a very long time that I actually had something chronic. I 100% was. But now looking back and even comparing that diagnosis to my latest flare-up that I just had in 2022, I'm like seeing the similarities of like, wow, my life was in such unalignment. I was so unhappy. I was dealing with anxiety. I was stressed out and I can see these correlations. So Yes, when it's happening, I'm like, why is this happening? I don't understand it. But looking back, I completely understand it and hope that that makes sense. I think it makes total sense. For people who don't really know, what is just a quick overview of what ulcerative colitis is, how it affects you? And when you say flare up, like, what does that look like? How does that impact your life? Yeah. So ulcerative colitis is a form of inflammatory bowel disease. So there's two main types. We have ulcerative colitis and then Crohn's disease. Ulcerative colitis is inflammation of just the large intestine, whereas Crohn's disease can affect the entire gastro tract. So with ulcerative colitis, a lot of the symptoms, the ones that I experience is, you know, first I'll notice like I'll have like stomach pains. I will notice bloating. Then I'll start to notice like mucus in my stool. And my stools will be start to like loosen more. They won't be so solid. And then it will start with like droplets of blood in the toilet. Those are like the first, you know, when I, you know, in back in 2022, August, 2022, I was noticing the mucus a little bit. And I thought maybe if I just like changed my diet, things would have gotten better. And then I started noticing droplets of blood and I was like, oh shit, (laughs) I need to act fast on this. And so this doesn't turn into a full fledged flare up. And then, you know, as weeks went by, I also had myocarditis in September and they put me on ibuprofen. They think it might have been from the inflammation from my ulcerative colitis, could have been from the vaccine. Like, I really have no idea. Could have been all of that at the same time. Yeah. So they put me on ibuprofen, which is not good for people with ulcerative colitis. It can cause more gastro inflammation and it made my flare so much worse. So by the end, like right before I had to switch my medication and everything, even if I moved, I would have to go let out blood. Like I would go to the bathroom and I'm just letting out blood. I'm not even like having a bowel movement. I feel the urge to go to the bathroom and it's just blood and mucus and really, really bad to the point that I couldn't even get off of the couch. I couldn't work. I was in and out of the hospital many times in the month of October just to get help, just so doctors could take me seriously. Cause I knew that 
like I couldn't live my life. My life was nothing. You know, I couldn't go out. I couldn't do anything. Did you feel like you were not being taken seriously? A hundred percent. Yeah. Because my blood work looked fine. I went to the emergency room, like I said, numerous times and I was like, I need help. And they like, you know, they kept jumping up my prednisone and stuff. And at the end of it, I was on 60 milligrams of prednisone, which is a lot. (laughs) And I was still miserable. And I literally had, I remember being in the emergency room and I was sitting there waiting for them to call me back and they were going to send me to a room. And like I said, it was to the point that if I even just got up and moved, I had severe stomach pains and had to go let blood out. So at that point, I was like, I have a feeling that they're not going to take me seriously. So when I went to the bathroom, I took a photo of the blood in the toilet. And I was like, listen, because they're going to send me home again with a higher dose of prednisone. I was like, I want you to look at this real quick. You need to take me seriously because this is not normal. I can't even move without this, without going to the bathroom and letting all of this blood out. This is not okay. And then they were going to admit me. And that's when I got my colonoscopy two days later, because the reason why I went to the emergency room is because they were saying I couldn't get my colonoscopy for like a month and a half. And I was like, I can't do this for a month and a half. I have work. I have to pay bills. I have a life to live. And you're just expecting me to just sit on the couch for a month and a half. And I advocated for myself and I got that colonoscopy two days later. And then that's when they were like, yeah, you have pancreatitis, which means that my whole entire large intestine, aside from six inches, was inflamed, which is terrible. And I was like, I knew it. I knew it. Like, I'm not lying about the pain that I'm experiencing. And yeah, I had to really fight for them to believe me because they were like, oh, you're young. I was 27 at the time. You're 27. You know, there's no way that you're in that much pain and your blood work looks fine. Like my blood work does not tell you the amount of pain that I'm in. Yeah, I think it's interesting how, and I mean, I have conversations all the time with people and part of the journey for a lot of them is trying to convince people that number one, they're in pain and number two, something's going on. Because a lot of times blood work does look fine, but there's only, you know, I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can look at blood work and there's no way to tell somebody really how much pain you're in. You know, of course you can use the scale, you can use whatever it is, but even then they have these, like we were talking before, right? They have these judgments of like, oh, it's probably not that bad. She's probably overreacting. You know, she's young. I mean, I've heard it all. (laughs) I've heard it all. And it's just very, very frustrating. And I think going in with photographic evidence, I think was a pretty smart move because sometimes that's what we have to do. If there's anything that you can see that you can take a picture and just put in front of someone's face and say, this is what's going on. Sometimes you have to get to that level, like you said, to advocate for yourself. And it can be hard. I think as women, it's hard to really be assertive sometimes, especially when you're talking to a doctor or someone who is an authority figure who is telling you, no, I read the stuff, I know what I'm talking about, and you have to overrule them to a certain extent and tell them that they're wrong. And that can be a really tough spot to be in, especially when you're feeling like crap. Yeah, that's what makes it that much more difficult because when you're not feeling well, like who really wants to get into an argument about proving to people that you don't feel well? Just believe me, please, because I'm so mentally exhausted from just what I'm dealing with that I don't even have the mental capacity to stand up for myself. 
And that's why, yes, I truly think that me showing the picture, I remember hearing them outside the room because like I said, they were going to send me on. They're like, we need to really take care of this girl. She is not well. She is not okay. And it was from me basically showing them that photo and also demanding a patient advocate. So if you do feel that you are not getting the care that you deserve in the hospital, in a doctor's office, I think mostly, I don't know if they have in the doctor's office, I could be wrong, but I know in a hospital, you have the opportunity to speak to a patient advocate. So if you are not getting the care that you need, you can demand one and someone has to come talk to you about your experience and what you are really wanting to get out of this and explaining to them that you're not getting the care that you deserve. Like you have the right to do that. And I think that's really important because I'm someone that I know to really advocate for myself, but I know that there's a lot of people who do just listen to what doctors say. Oh, you're fine. Prednisone just going to help you, but you have to stand up for yourself and I am so happy that I am someone who does that. That's why I'm always like, I think this is a really important message is like, you have to stand up for yourself because the doctors, they don't know as much as they know a lot about very little, right? And sometimes things are out of their scope. They are taught to go by these rules to help you with these things this way. And sometimes it's not the complete way that's actually going to help you for your body. Me adding prednisone, I knew at 60 milligrams, I'm wanting to jump me up more. I was like, that's actually going to be doing more damage to my body. I don't want that. Like I want you to give me a colonoscopy so I can switch my medication. That's what I think is really going to help me. And that's exactly what helped me. You know. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think you know. And I think sometimes even if it's not so clear, it's really a lesson in trusting your gut instinct. Because I'm the same way, right? Like I've had doctors that don't want to work with me anymore, you know, or I'm like, I am not working with this person. And they're like, I am totally okay with that because I'm the same way. And I was diagnosed very young. So I was like the 22 year old that was like really advocating and voicing my opinion and saying things that people were not expecting. And thankfully I was diagnosed by a fantastic neurologist, MS specialist who I'm still friends with today. But that's not the experience that a lot of people have. And so I'm totally with you. But even when we don't know what's going on, like I had something going on with a tooth. And so I, in my gut, knew something was going on. And they were like, nope, nope, it's fine. I'm looking at it. Nothing's wrong. No big deal. And I was like, I don't know. But I couldn't say what it was. I had no idea what was going on in my mouth. I have no understanding of... (laughs) you know, dental <laughs> dentistry, right? Beyond like what we all just kind of know. And so, you know, I mean, I, eventually I ended up going to a different dentist who was like, yeah, this is happening. And I'm like, I knew it. But even though I didn't have the words to tell that first dentist, like it feels like XYZ is happening. I still knew in my gut something was wrong. I knew in my gut every time I was being turned away with the nope, looks good. I'm like, but it's not something's going on. Even if they're looking at it with all of their little gadgets and tools, even if they're not seeing something, I know something's wrong. And sometimes that's all we have to go on. We have no idea what it is. We have no idea how to even verbalize it. Sometimes even when you're in pain, you can't even really tell like what it is that's in pain. You just know that this area is really, really hurting, or you just know that, that, you know, in this general vicinity, but you have no idea what it is. And that's, I think, when we really need to stick to our guns is when we have that gut feeling of, nope, something's wrong. I can't say what it is. I don't know what it is, but I've got to keep looking for people who can tell me. Yeah. That's where I think the power in knowing to get a second opinion 
is really important. And also like I got kind of lucky in that sense because this is my second ulcerative colitis flare. So, you know, knowing that I knew the pain was changing, I knew that it was getting worse and they were telling me that it wasn't. I was like, this is not my first rodeo here. I know what's going on. I know that my colon is like becoming more and more inflamed. And like I said, by the time I got my colonoscopy, my entire large intestine besides six inches was inflamed. And when they told me those results, I cried because I was so proud of myself for advocating for myself. I would not have been there getting that colonoscopy if I did not fight for that. If I didn't get off the phone when they told me it's going to be a month and a half, if I didn't be like, well, that's not going to happen. I'm going to go to the emergency room. I literally went to the emergency room that day. So I was like, well, I know that the only way that they're going to take me serious is if I go to the emergency room. So that's what I'm going to do. (laughs) And I was just so proud of myself because I knew something was wrong. I knew something was worse, but they kept telling me, no, everything looks fine. You just have to take more prednisone and it will get better. I'm like, I don't think that works that way for me. And it wasn't, it wasn't going to make it better. So yeah, I think definitely what you know, when something is wrong, even if you don't know exactly what it is, if a doctor is telling you that there isn't, but your gut is telling you, yes, there is something wrong, you know, asking for a second opinion, going and looking at a different facility, doing what you can go into the emergency room. Like, I don't know what is in your scope, but not just settling for what they tell you. If you are not able to live your normal life and your life is being affected by whatever's going on or it's just uncomfortable, like you deserve to live a life where you feel good. And no one else can tell you what feels good to you or not. So when this was happening both times, you were in Colorado, which means you had just moved here when you were diagnosed. Is that right? I was three years into living in Colorado when I was diagnosed. So what kind of a support system did you have? Well, it was difficult the first time around because in 2019, because the month that I was diagnosed, I was diagnosed in 2019. Like I said, in the beginning of the episode, I was in a relationship that didn't feel very good to me. Um, He was a great human, but like, you know, when you know, you know, Yeah. (laughs) when I knew that it wasn't what I, you know, it just wasn't, my life was just not going the way that I wanted to. So I actually broke up with that person a few months before, and it was a really difficult breakup. We lived together. So I actually moved into my own apartment. And that was the hardest experience of my life because I was living alone. I couldn't really afford this apartment. I ended up working like, I think by the end, I was working a nannying job. I was a hula hoop instructor for kids. I was working two serving jobs and I was also doing assistant directing for the program. So technically I had like five jobs to afford that apartment and my health was going down the drain faster and faster and faster. So I didn't really have a good support system out here, if I'm going to be honest. And it got to the point that at the end of January 2019, that I was like, I can't do this anymore. I need to go home to Maryland. So I ended up quitting all of my jobs. And the next day I ended up in the emergency room because I just like, I almost needed a blood transfusion because the amount of blood that I lost over the months. And I needed like a ton of electrolytes and they admitted me for like three days. And that's when they diagnosed me with pancolitis, you know, the whole large intestine inflamed for the first time. And that was when they put me on my medication, uh, biologic medication. So I didn't really have a support system. I had to go home to Maryland to get my life really back. I was kind of doing it all alone out here. And then eight months in after I got into remission and everything, I was like, I need to go back to Colorado, which kind of felt crazy. And I doubted that I could actually make it happen. I was like, am I crazy for like, what if a flare up happens again and I'm not away from, and I'm away from my family. And I was really well off up until 2022. And for this latest flare that I have, I'm actually a live-in caregiver for a family. 
And in August, I moved in with them. And then that's when my health started kind of going down the drain again. And they were such a great support system. They paid me the entire time, even though there were days that I felt like I was hardly doing anything. I never skipped a beat paycheck wise. So they were really my greatest support system out here. And then I have a community that I'm a part of in Denver called Archipelago. And you know, it's a very healing space. Like I do a lot of breath work. I do a lot of meditation. I do a lot of things like that. And being in that environment has really helped me now. Well, towards the end of that, because that was when I was like, I really need to turn this over to like breath work and meditation and really start to believe that I can get out of this, really start to calm my nervous system, calm everything down a little bit and kind of start being able to breathe into the pain like reminding myself that I can like get through this. Right. And that's where breath work really became really profound for me. And being a part of that community is really helpful now on this healing journey that I'm on. Now I'm in this space of really learning to believe that I can heal my chronic illness and not carry it forward. Like obviously, you know, there's fears of flare ups and stuff, but I'm really, I don't want to keep having flare ups every few months. And I think it really comes down to deep, deep healing and obviously lifestyle changes and everything. But that's really the journey that I'm on. And that community really is supporting me on this journey of deeper healing. So you said something interesting. You breathe into the pain. Can you talk a little bit about what is that? How does that feel? I'm not sure if any listeners have ever heard of breath work, but there's a bunch of different breathing patterns that you can do. So I do a lot of somatic breath work where I do a deep breath into my belly, into my chest and out. And it's a fast action. And you ended up getting into this like space where you can like deeply feel your feelings and stuff. So breathing into the pain, you know, I remember there were times when I was in the bathroom and being in the bathroom was when I've experienced the most pain, right? Because obviously I'm passing blood and stuff. And whenever I would get like a pain surge, I literally would just breathe in, like breathe in, like healing and exhaling pain and suffering. And I would just in my mind say like, I'm breathing in healing and I'm exhaling the pain and focusing on that as I'm experiencing a pain surge really helped me, first of all, believe that I can get through this because I was like, I'm breathing in healing, right? It's more like a mental game, right? Like having something to focus on as we're experiencing the pain versus like the hyperventilating and like crying and all these things. Like, yes, it's important to feel, but also when you're at the space where you really want to not being as much pain for me, focusing on something outside of the pain was really helpful to get through it. So knowing that I'm breathing in healing and breathing out the pain, I'm like, okay, this is happening right now, but I can get through this and I can do it. I haven't done a lot in the breath work practice. I've done a few things. And every time I've done it though, it's been very interesting because there's so many different ways you can do it. And there's so many different ways that you can use it. Like sometimes it puts you in a state where because of how you're breathing, and of course you do it with people who know what they're talking about. (laughs) You don't just kind of start doing weird breathing. But sometimes you get to like almost like this weightless kind of feeling in your head. And sometimes it's a really grounding feeling. And sometimes it's a way to get you out of your body. Sometimes it's a way to get you in your body. I've always found it really interesting all the different ways that breath work can help you connect with your body, with yourself spiritually, with your emotions. I think it's a really cool space. Yeah. And that's why it's been such a great tool on my healing journey, because a lot of times like 
I've had deep sessions and breath work where I release a lot of fears around my chronic illness. I also learn that I can still live this limitless life that I see for myself. And I, you know, I can learn to thrive with chronic illness versus it taking over my whole life. And breath work has been really profound in that because it allows me to connect to like my highest self. It also can sometimes, for me, one of the things that has been, I've recognized in my healing journey is like, have you ever heard of Louise Hay's Alchemy of Healing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So looking up the emotions behind ulcerative colitis, it made complete sense to me. Like insecurity, a lot of the things made a lot of sense to me. And I I looked into this in a few different theories. Like there's another book that I was reading that's not Louise Hay's, but it also talks about the emotional side effects of you know the emotions behind disease. And it across all the board, it's like the same things. And it just made a lot of sense to me. And I joined a women's circle in the beginning of the new year and we dove deep into like a lot of like inner child healing. And I can see where these emotions came from in my childhood that the theories say that can lead to ulcerative colitis and all these other things. And I'm like, so I've just been doing a lot of inner child healing and breath work has been so profound and going back to that five-year-old self who experienced these things and kind of like nurturing her so I can heal those parts of myself so I can break the cycles of chronic illness and like break that emotion that I'm experiencing that is the behind ulcerative colitis you know the insecurity the low self-esteem the low self-worth like it stemmed from something generationally from my inner child and breathwork has been really profound with like bringing awareness around that and also healing that. I really like that. And one thing I want to get your viewpoint on, me being a coach, being in the self-help industry for quite a while, there's always this, like there's this beauty, which you just described of using these tools like the Louise Hay and the you know emotions and all of that in finding how to start to heal yourself, heal your past, heal traumas, heal whatever it is. But there's always the flip side. I'm always quite aware. I went into it myself personally. You might have as well. And a lot of people that I know that are in the self-help world have gone to what I call like the dark side of coaching where it's like, oh my God, it's my fault. Oh my God, it's because I'm insecure that I have this. And it's because I doubt myself that I developed MS. It's because I didn't feel my emotions that I am sick now and I made myself sick. And and it can really start to spiral sometimes on the flip side, the dark side of self-help because that is there. Anything that we can use to heal ourselves, we can definitely use to hurt ourselves or whip ourselves. So talk a little bit about finding this and not going into that place of, well, it's my fault for not being confident. It's my fault for doubting myself. It's my fault for not being emotionally healed. One of the journeys that I have been on ever since my ulcerative colitis has been a deep self-love journey and just really having compassion for myself and knowing that this has been a long journey that I've been on for the last like five, was it like, yeah, four years of this self-love journey. So I kind of had that foundation before I started looking into inner child stuff. And I, I was able to look at it from like a compassionate lens, like us having doubt in ourselves we don't just come out the womb doubting ourselves, right? We were conditioned to have these thoughts. We were conditioned to have these feelings about ourselves. So I think if you know this intrigues you and you're interested in diving you know, deep into inner child work, like first having that foundation of self 
love, I think is really, really important because you don't want to do this. And like I, like you said, and like I said, like going down this spiral of like, it's all my fault. Like that's not why we're doing this, right? We're doing this so you can heal. You deserve to heal. And you also deserve to have compassion for yourself. We don't know unless we know, right? We don't know that the doubt and the self, all these things emotionally can have impacts on our health. We don't know that until something likely happens, right? So having compassion for that, first of all. And yeah, I think just recognizing that, and it's not that people, I think also another thing, you know, along the lines of like having compassion for yourself, having compassion for other people too, because when you're diving into inner child work, you may have the realization like, oh, this happened because of this experience or because of this person. That person may not have known that they were contributing to your self doubt. They did not know that they were contributing to your self worth. Looking at it from like a lens of like, we're all human. Everybody's healing from something. You're not alone in that. We're all healing deep emotional ties and everything. And we don't recognize sometimes what we can also do to other people. You can have past trauma from your parent not picking you up from school one day. You know what I mean? You can feel there's like they're saying, and I'm sure that was a complete accident on your parents' side, right? So having compassion when you're looking at it from either lens, not like whose fault it is or who did what, right? I think that's just a really important perspective to go into inner child work. It's like, we're not here to like point fingers at yourself or to at someone else, but having the awareness of like, hey, that contributed to it, but this is how I can move forward. I can heal that. I love that idea of starting it with self-love because that I think almost immediately undercuts any type of like, well, it's my fault. I should not have, you know, had doubt in myself or I shouldn't have done this because I know there is a lot of blame that we can have towards ourselves, especially when you're diagnosed with something. It's like, what did I do to get this? What did I do to cause this? And a lot of times, so many things. I know ulcerative colitis is like that. MS is like that. the, The role that stress plays in these diagnoses, in these chronic illness, is huge. And a lot of times things like self-doubt stresses us out. Things like worrying about stressed out or worrying about self-doubt stresses us out. And wondering who did this. Oh, it's somebody else's fault. Like you said, like blaming other people. And, and all of that can on its surface sound like it's you know, you're looking at your emotions, you're looking at what's going on. But that's it's one of the things I talk about with, you know, like this dark side of self-help is is you can turn it into stress very quickly. And stress is not helping any of us because we all know there's huge consequences to stress, especially chronic stress. So I really like that idea of coming at it with compassion, coming at it with self-love. And you know what we talked about in the very beginning, which is just laying down the judgment. Judgment of yourself, judgment of other people, because all of these things can contribute to stress, which in turn can contribute to diagnoses and flare-ups and all sorts of things that nobody wants. I am just a very forward-thinking person. And I think it's a gift when it comes to inner child healing, because I don't really spend a lot of time. Like, I'm not gonna lie. I definitely was like, oh man, like I put myself into this flare. I shouldn't have been doing this. I shouldn't have been doing that. hundred percent. I had those thoughts, but I think it's also like, we're here right now. This is what happened in the past, but this is how I can move forward. This is the perspective that I can have around it that actually isn't going to add stress to me. This is how I can change this, right? I can heal these parts. It's just about having the awareness, right? I think 
all healing starts with awareness. We, we just need to have the awareness of what happened, how that has led us to where we are today. All right, cool. Let's move forward though. Like let's not spend all of our time within the blame game, thinking of all the things that we could have done different or like, yeah, you can have that perspective, but like you can do those things different now. Not like, oh, I should have done it different then. We can't change the past, but we can change the future. So you can choose now to live your life differently. You can choose now to change your perspectives and you have the power to make that change. So you've gone on a pretty incredible journey over the past seven, eight years, right? You left Maryland where you know your family was, you were one raised, you came to a new state, you had all these new experiences, you created new habits, you wanted to create a new environment for yourself. You started solo travel, you were dealing with a new diagnosis and your flare-ups, and there's so much packed into a relatively short period of time. So looking back on this, what has surprised you the most about yourself while you were going through this? How resilient I am. And just like how I still can live a beautiful life despite a chronic illness diagnosis. Like I'm obsessed with my life. And I remember 2019 when I was first diagnosed, I thought my life was over, right? I thought I was never going to be able to live a normal life. I thought I was never going to be able to travel the world, but I was never going to be able to move back to Colorado and I'm living it. And I think it just goes to show that what you choose to focus on, you create more of. And I was choosing to focus on my future. I was choosing to not let things hold me back. I think our mindsets play such a massive role in our life. And I guess I'm not surprised because I know that I'm just a very like, I don't settle and I know this about myself. (laughs) But at the same time, when you're in those moments of like the deep, deep hard times, you sometimes question that you can ever get past it, but you can. And sometimes it can turn even better than what your life was before. Even with a chronic illness diagnosis, I would take this life that I live today versus who I was, you know, seven years ago with no diagnosis. You know what I mean? But I have created that for myself and you truly have the power to create your dream life. I think it's interesting because a lot of times I, you know, it's no secret that I'm all about mindset. I love mindset. I do think that we create a lot of our experience and a lot of it has to do with what you focus on. I know that for me, and when I'm talking to people about what they're focusing on, it doesn't mean you have to 100% all the time focus on this one thing. And the second you're not focused on it, it's bad. So how do you define that? When you say you just need to focus on what you want and moving forward, what does that mean to you? Like, what does that actually look like? The main thing that I think really contributes to like what you want is honestly feeling good on a day-to-day basis. Because when you feel good, you actually will have the energy to focus on the positives in your life. So I think it really kind of starts with, okay, this is who I want to be in the future. Like honestly thinking of like your highest self, I always think to my highest self and that's really helped me create the habits that support me. It helps me to wake up and just feel good. Even if I wasn't a flare, like I have things that I do that can help me just feel better. It is fueling my body with nutritious foods. It is journaling in the morning. It is all of these things. And even on a day-to-day basis, if I'm not thinking of my bigger goal, I know that I'm still doing things that make me feel good on a day-to-day basis. And I think that's like the easiest way to break it down. I think it can be so easy to like get overwhelmed with like that distance of who you want to be in the future and what you really want to call in and what you're working towards and where you are right now. But just starting with what is going to make me feel good right now? And obviously there's going to be days where we don't feel good a hundred percent. But I think 
on the most part, if you have days where you feel good on a day-to-day basis and you're doing things that bring you joy, bring you happiness, bring you peace, allow your nervous system to calm down, you're enjoying your life, that's going to contribute to where you want to be eventually. You know what I mean? So I just think that's the easiest way to break it down. Is like if you can look at your week and you realize that four out of the five days, you're stressed out, you're not feeling good, you are tired, you're fatigued, X, Y, and Z. What's something that you can do to add in some part of your day where you do feel at peace, where you do feel joy? That will compound over time. Mm-hmm. Hope that answered your question. <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. I think. I mean, I think that I think that answer is different for everybody, and I think that's what's so interesting about it is we all have our own ways of looking at it. We all know that you want to focus on what you want to bring in, right? You want to focus on how you want to be. You want to focus on what's going on. And that can be five hours in the future. That could be for like the afternoon. That could be for five years from now. I mean, I don't know. I'm not someone who has a five-year plan. I've never done that, but it can be wherever it is that works for you. Some people don't really focus that far into the future and it's just about what can I do right now? And that's good too. So I think it's just interesting to hear how people define that for themselves and how they do it. For me, I think that a lot of the, uh, you know, feeling good and the focusing on, you know, what do you want that's going to bring in joy or what are you going to want that's going to bring in a more positive feeling? I think that's great. And I think that an important part of that is allowing things like your negative emotions. A lot of it is allowing things like maybe you don't have a thought, maybe one of your thoughts is not that it's awesome and it's going to be okay. Maybe one of your thoughts is this sucks and when the hell is this going to end? And to me, you can find joy in that thought by just saying, you know what, it's okay to have this thought. I give myself permission. I don't think it's a bad thing that I'm having this thought. I don't think it's a bad thing that I'm angry or upset or whatever it is, right? Like, I think that embracing that side of us is also a way to move towards that more positive future and that more positive outlook. So I think it just kind of depends on who it is. And that's what I think is really interesting about it. A hundred percent. And that's why when I say like finding joy in every day, like, yes, you know, I think it is important to make sure that, you know, on a day-to-day basis, like you're doing things that make you feel good. But a part of that is not suppressing your emotions. Right. If you suppress your emotions, you're never actually going to feel a full sense of joy. I think the beautiful part of the human experience is that we do get to experience the the really dark times can sometimes make the really great times even that more joyous, even that much better. But we have to sometimes sit in the suck. We have to sit in the shit and feel it. And that's where like a lot of these breath work has been so profound for me because there's times that I don't even realize the emotions that are in me until I do breath work. And I'm like, wow, I actually needed breath work today because I didn't even realize I was still sad about that. I didn't even realize that these thoughts were still here. Like I didn't realize that that's something for me to process deeper. And it kind of gives me clues as to like, what's something that I need to work on. And I kind of simultaneously hold duality a lot. I hold grief, but also joy at the same time. And that's just, that's what it is. But I always try to find something, even if I'm having days where it sucks, right? I always try to find something, even if it is like writing in my journal, oh, I'm grateful that I have this space today to feel this sadness. I'm grateful that I have my bed to support me as I'm sad today. You know what I mean? It can just be things that can help you as you're feeling sad too, or angry, you know, having a chronic illness diagnosis. Like we all have freaking emotions. I get angry. (laughs) I get mad, but I'm still able to like 
live a good life, you know? A hundred percent. So talk a little bit about what you are doing now, because you have your own business. You've moved into the space of creating your own business, creating your podcast, being able to do it in a way that helps with being in control of your schedule, being in control of your stress. Talk a little bit about who it is that you work with and how you help them. Yeah. So one of the gifts that actually came from my latest chronic illness flare was I re-found my spark for my podcast. I actually just celebrated the 100th episode of Journey to Limitless. Congratulations. Which is so exciting. Yes, I am really celebrating that. And just the podcast is my baby. I love my podcast so much. And with the podcast and with my coaching, it's called Journey to Limitless. And it's all about breaking the cycles that are holding us back from creating our own unique path forward. A lot of us feel like the black sheep in our family. A lot of us are afraid to do things differently than other people, even though it truly is what our souls want. And we hold ourselves back. That can be from a chronic illness. That can be from the stories that we tell ourselves. It can be from how we grew up. But if you have that dream in you, it is made for you. And we don't have to let these things hold yourself back. So that's really what I do with my podcast. I highlight a lot of stories of individuals who have overcome hardship and kept moving forward. I also talk a lot about gaining the confidence to pave your own unique path and following that soul spark in your life. And I'm actually in the process of launching my new one-on-one coaching offer called Your Limitless Life, which is for the people who want to pave their own unique path forward and break the cycles that are holding them back. So that's really what I do. How can people get in touch with you? Sure. So you can find Journey to Limitless podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Definitely come tune in. I love knowing who listens to the podcast. So if you do tune in, definitely you can find me on Instagram as well. I'm at journey to limitless underscore. That's J-O-U-R-N-E-Y-T-O-L-I-M-I-T-L-E-S-S underscore. Those are the two best ways to find me. I'm in the process of maybe starting a YouTube channel and everything, but at this time, just find me on Instagram or find the podcast on like your favorite podcasting platform. I'm going to have all of that information in the show notes, all the ways that you can get in touch with Courtney. But Courtney, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and taking us on a journey to your limitless and what has been going on with you these past seven, eight years. Yeah. Thank you, Andrea. This was such a gift. Thank you for having me on. And it's been really nice to connect with you today. So thank you. Is negative self-talk still getting in the way? I hear you, and I've got you. Go to andreahansencoaching.com to get my free no BS guide to a positive mindset. This guide is all about stopping the negative self-talk. In it, you'll learn what works and what doesn't, and you'll get sustainable, long-lasting tools to help with your negative self-talk so you don't feel like that inner critic keeps sneaking up on you. Go to andreahansencoaching.com and get my free no BS guide to a positive mindset. You'll find the link in the description of this podcast episode. Thank you for listening to the Live Your Life, Not Your Diagnosis podcast. If you like the show, don't be shy. Please give us a five-star rating and review. Don't forget to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever you're listening right now. To see complete show notes and transcripts of today's episode, visit andreahansencoaching.com. Thank you for joining me. And until next time, take care.